everyone, and welcome to The Paper Fold. I am your host, Sarah, and I am so glad to be back. Before I get to my guest today, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Noted, the Greeting Card Expo taking place May 20th and May 21st. But the fun kicks off this Wednesday, May 19th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with the Noted at Noted Product Awards. This is only the second year of this greeting card competition's existence. It essentially came into being alongside COVID-19, but it is definitely part of its silver lining. We have 10 really fun categories such as best use of profanity and best color combo, and of course, best Corona card. I assembled a really small group of judges with some of the most discerning eyes I know of in the industry. Dan Collier of Daniel Richards, Audrey Woolen of Urbanic, Chelsea Shukov of Sugar Paper, and Chandra Greer of Greer Chicago, as well as myself, to judge what I can only describe as a really heartfelt and massive group of nearly 200 greeting card entries. We just recorded the awards presentation yesterday, and even though I tripped over my words a few times, I'm really excited for that moment when we all get to see them and learn who the winners are. Plus, then there is Noted Itself, which promises to be two days of fabulous greeting card discoveries. I hope you can make it. If you can't, I'll be sharing the, the winners in an upcoming Paper Nerd post. There is just so much beauty and brilliant messaging. Please check it out. On to my guest today. Molly Hatch is definitely a paper person, but she kind of came about it in an ancillary way. The daughter of an organic dairy farmer and a painter with a family tree that includes a founder of RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design. She has a formal education in ceramics, drawing, painting, and printmaking, and began her career as a studio potter and college professor. But through a series of incidents that I will let her relay, her lifestyle brand, Molly Hatch, was born. Her tagline is modern heirlooms with everyday charm. And once you are familiar with her distinctive style that puts a fresh, colorful spin on tradition, it's too late, you're hooked. My guess is the place that you have most likely encountered her work already is anthropology. In the last decade, Molly has done over 500 projects for them. Such a huge body of work that she has shaped their brand. The effect is such that if you are already an anthropology customer and you see her work, it is already familiar to you. And just like all the other merchandise in this story, you want to own all of it. That familiar vibe was definitely what happened to me when our paths crossed and we got acquainted in real life, maybe about five years back. I was walking the stationary aisles in New York now and approaching Big Wheel Press's booth. That's an exquisite range of letterpress cards and stationery out of East Hampton, Massachusetts. And Molly ran up to me and introduced herself. She was super friendly and fun. We hit it off right away. She knew who I was. Looking back, I'm embarrassed. I should have known who she was. Molly showed me the cards she had created with Bill. And since her ceramics, you know, were all over anthropology, I could tell it looked familiar, but I couldn't really place it. Then she took a picture with me and wanted to put it on her Instagram. And Bill said to me, you know, Molly has a lot of followers. I went and looked and it was somewhere in the 25,000 follower range. So I slowly put it together that she was rather really well known and it didn't really blend with this friendly, easygoing, loving life persona. But I'm here to tell you that is authentically Molly. That is who she is. And she is so much fun, as you'll see. With her talent and resume, she could very well be a very stuffy, entitled type of person. But she is 100% the opposite. So I initially wanted to interview Molly because I thought it is so interesting how her career trajectory overlapped with anthropology and then meandered into other licensing projects. I wanted to find out too if she wanted to know the secret sauce for getting into anthropology, as she calls it. 
as I knew that that would be the question on every maker's mind. But as you'll learn, she was just getting started. Today, May 17th, 2021, she launches an exclusive capsule clothing collection for Joni Clothing. That it's a British range, and this collection has 19 signature Joni clothing styles. They're vintage-inspired pieces. They're each lovingly emblazoned with Molly's fantastically eccentric prints and slogans. In addition, the collection is almost entirely made uh, with sustainable and ecological fabric, as well as organic cottons. Molly gifted me a uh, teacup dress. And I have to tell you, I have had a lot of feels since I first got it. First off, uh, full disclosure, I can't even remember the last dress, the last new dress I got. So I think maybe it was December 2019. So it was just surreal to open a box and get a dress. But it is so divine. I love every detail from the quirky pattern to the just clean lines of the collar. It is something else. It is her, it is her ceramics. It is those anthropology, that anthropology tray in dress form. So I wore mine during the noted awards recording. So that's yet another reason to check it out though. Of course <laughs> you'll only get to see it from the waist up. You can buy it through Molly's site as well as that of Joni Clothing. I'll link both in the liner notes. That's enough from me. I'll let Molly take it away from here right after this. Hey, paper peeps. So by now, many of my listeners are familiar with the force of stationary nature, better known as Girl with Knife. But if you aren't, time to change all that. From the first moment I spied her booth at her New York Now trade show debut in 2019, I was smitten with this cutting edge range that the world was calling out for. We all just didn't know it yet. Everything is nimbly collaged to life, slice by careful slice by the talented and exquisite Alicia Castaldi. This stylish collection of cards, journals, and notepads that have sprung to life under this fashionista's exacting knife is sharp, snarky, sleek, and occasionally very sweet, just like that BFF who would love to hear from you right now. For that reason, whenever I get my hands on Girl With Knife merchandise, I hoard it and use it most sparingly. Alicia recently launched Gift Wrap, and if you're already a fan of her range, you're familiar with her patterns and quality, but these super thick sheets elevate any gift from Off the Rack to Atelier. Her recent releases of Midnight Botanical, Rare Creatures, and Chase dreams bring the total styles that slay up to 10. And if you're like me and that you fall in love with a range and want to reside in that world, you're in luck. Alicia recently unveiled Knife House, which was one of the few good things I can think of that came out of 2020. That was when Alicia shifted her operation from L.A. to this newly renovated concept home in Palm Springs. This completely private, walled, and gated estate features panoramic mountain views and countless Luke's surprises. Take a tour through its magnificent blush pink doors at www.knifehousepalmsprings.com or find it on Instagram at knifehousepalmsprings. Good luck getting your jaw off the floor as you take in this perfect California adult playground. These glamorous digs are available for photo shoots, film projects, special events, and short-term rentals. But just as importantly, all that exquisite Palm Springs flora and fauna have inspired Alicia's soon-to-be-released journal and notepads. She tells me that they're also expanding into home decor, which I, for one, absolutely can't wait to see. So now that you've glimpsed this wonderful world, you need this cutting edge lifestyle brand in your life. Find Girl With Knife in hundreds of shops across the U.S. and half over half a dozen countries. Alicia and Girl With Knife have also been featured in New York Magazine, LA Business Journal, BuzzFeed, and of course, Stationary Trends. I've run her work there countless times. Alicia was one of our 10 designers to watch in 2020 and proceeded to live up to that designation when last May, two out of 
Her three nominated cards took CHOP honors at the Noted and Noted Virtual Greeting Card Competition. Then, for our winter 2021 issue of Stationary Trends, Alicia designed the 10 designers to watch frontispiece for us. It is something else if you haven't seen it yet. Also, as of 2021, Alicia is represented by none other than the Daniel Richard Showrooms in Atlanta and Dallas. Dan's eye is renowned in this biz, so his representing Girl with Knife is unsurprising, but it also means that this brand needs to be on your design radar stat. Check out this beguiling range at the recently refreshed girlwithknife.com. Right now, the theme is Season of Fierce, and I think we can all use one of those about now. I guarantee your stationery will slay. Welcome, Molly. Thanks for having me, Sarah. My next question to you, which I know like every single listener has, <laughs> it's like, how the heck did you first get an anthropology? Like, can you take us back and just sort of tell tell me how that played out? Sure. Um, it is sort of the million dollar question because everyone kind of would like that to happen to them. And I definitely right. launched like my whole career off of the platform that anthropology gave me. I'm not going to lie. That's definitely how, <laughs> why I'm sitting here having this conversation with you. Um, I, so I, I graduated with my master's degree in 2000 and forgive me, this is a little bit of a, I need to give you a little backstory. This is fine. This is fine. Um, I graduated with my master's degree in ceramics in 2008, really bad year to be like launching yourself into the world. (laughs) It was like, you know, financial (laughs) world imploded. Um, the house we bought during graduate school that we were going to like, you know, turn around in three years and make $50,000 off of you know, went under water basically. And, like we got our money back ish. Um, <laughs> we invested in it and we couldn't find work. And so we moved back east from Colorado. I went to the University of Colorado. They have a really um, like top tier ceramics program. And I thought I was going to be a professor and I was for a while. I taught at RISD. I taught at a local community college and I taught at Dartmouth for a little while. And um, uh, it, it just didn't really pan out the way I had envisioned. So what I knew how to do was make pots. I knew how to make pottery for a living because that's what I was doing before I went to graduate school and was not interested in being a production potter. I knew that I had too many ideas and I had things, bigger ideas than, than, and I, so I thought being a professor was going to answer that question for me and sort of figure out how to have a career that um, was a little more academic really. Um, And so I was selling work through galleries that I had established relationships with prior to graduate school. And I just called and I was, I could not make work fast enough, even during this economic downturn, it was really weird. Um, And I was making these great mugs and, um, I, one of the things that I was making were these mugs that were selling for like $120 at that time, which is still, I mean, that was, uh, almost, it was like 17 years ago or something at this point. Um, wow. That's like the equivalent of like a right? hundred bucks, 200. I mean, like that would be, yeah. It wasn't that long ago. It was, I'm sorry. Wow. It was like 11 those years. Must, like those must have been 12 years ago. <laughs> that's they were still, great. That's a, that's but, a pretty penny. But, you know, the handmade version of what I'm designing now, you know, at that time, that's, that's what I had to charge for a mug. And I was still not making a living. I was still losing money. Um, and I was selling everything I could make. And um, I had work in a gallery in New York called um, Greenwich House Pottery. And it's on Jones Street, um, Jones and Bleecker um, in the village. And, you know, like, great things have come up. Kate Winslet bought some of my work there. Um, you know, I mean, it was like people, famous people take lessons there. It's, you know, it's just an amazing spot. And they had a little gallery and I, they were selling my pots there, which is how Kate Winslet ended up with one of them. But, um, and I'm not even know, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be able to, I, I probably just there. That might be one of those things where I'm not sure I can say that, but I, I did. I think no, it's Kate okay. Winslet, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's really probably using it right now. She's using it right now. Um, <laughs> I hope so, because it was a really nice mug. Um, (laughs) uh, And one of their executives, Patty Eisen, who's now actually working in real estate, um, she walked by and saw my work in the window and said, ah, I need to tell the ceramics tableware and the tableware buyer to reach out to this person. Her work is perfect for anthropology. We want to collaborate with her. 
And so I got an email from them in 2009, 2010. It was late, early, early 2010. And um, uh-huh. I had had my daughter and she was about 10 months old. So I was really struggling financially. We were on welfare. I had two degrees. It was like totally Whoa. crazy. You know, and I was like, why? Well, this is like not the way it's supposed to go, right? <laughs> um, I've spent way too much money on an art degree. My husband was supporting us with his, he's a builder. And, and, um, when anthropology emailed, I thought it was like a joke at first. I was like, I like who, what? Like, this is my dream come true. You've got to be kidding me. Um, and so I did the like, do I email back immediately? Or is this like a boyfriend asking me on a date? Do I wait a couple like, days? Three like, days. Like, seem like I'm busy. <laughs> like, have, pretend you're your assistant emailing seriously, back. Seriously, I had this conversation. I was like, do I immediately reply or do I like, I was like, I had to like check myself a little bit. Um, and so I mean, I, I replied two days later. I gave it the like two days. <laughs> I think I so would have. Like, you don't want to, you want to reply in 10 minutes, but. Um, can't. Yeah, no. And I didn't, I had to start thinking about what I wanted to reply. But basically they were asking if I would want to collaborate with them. And I said, yes. Um, except that I knew that I was losing money on my work and they were asking me to sell work to them as wholesale. And I just knew that if I couldn't do it in that capacity, how the heck was I going to do it for okay. them at the quantities they were probably going to want? And then it was like posing sort of a career problem. Like if I can't make... <laughs> enough pots for anthropology to sell, then what the heck am I, like, how am I ever going to make a living doing this? I've got to change everything about what right. I'm doing in order to make right. that work. Right, right. But so, that was a more yeah. of a, an existential problem that I had to solve later. But. Sure. And I mean, for a lot of our listeners, like, who might not understand, I mean, like, you get a small maker, such as yourself, gets a purchase order from, like, a major corporation, and there, it's basically an offer. Like, you might be retailing, let's say if it's for cards, you might be retailing your cards for $5 a pop, and they'll say, right. we'll give you 90 cents a right. unit. And you'll say, I can't make that work. And they'll say, we'll give you 90 cents a unit. Like it, that's, that's, you know, they figured it out and that's what they can, that's what they can pay you. So, you know, that's kind of what you were going through somewhat, I assume. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was just before we even got into that conversation, I knew that it, you know, and I, I mean, who at that time I had been watching anthropology and going into their stores and, you know, shopping the sale rack for years. (laughs) I I mean, I was on welfare. There was no, there was no shopping at anthropology for me at that point. But, um, you know, I think I probably bought a couple of things that I shouldn't have and didn't tell my husband kind of thing. Like, you know, the sweater was really too expensive, but I love it. Coveted things in there and I would sort of window shop. When I was Go going ahead. through my divorce, I'm in New um in uh let's see, that must have been uh 2003. I was working in New York and I used to walk to the anthropology at um uh by Union Square and I yeah. found I like you know, that's what got me through my divorce mentally, like their sale room, like finding stuff. Like I still have stuff that I wear all the time from there. Oh, totally. Absolutely. And I, and all throughout graduate school, I mean, I'd go in there and sort of look at things and be like, this isn't quite right. They could do this better. And I was doing research. I didn't know it. But I mean, like most people have such like sentimental attachments to that store. And like, I am no different. (laughs) I've I've had so many conversations with people about walking in and sort of that magical environment that they had created, like a European marketplace, right? Like you felt like Mm -hmm. you've been transported. And my first experience of an anthropology was when the Boylston Street um, one opened in Boston. It had to have been the mid 90s. I mean, it was like maybe 98, 99 or something like that. And it was just like three floors of magic. I was like, what is right. this? I mean, I, and I, I, I couldn't fit into anything. I was like, way too, you know, it was just like, not, I was not their customer by a long shot, but who, you know, who knew that I, I was going to become their, you know, coveted. Little did you someday. know. So, so know. I'm, but I'm sorry. So you're in these early you know, sort of discussions with them. And I'm yes, sorry, you were saying, no, I, that's fine. I think we all have to acknowledge our obsession. First I, know, I, I, th- I think someone could make a whole podcast just waxing eloquent about anthropology. There might be one. I, there probably I is. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, so I responded and I said, look, I, I was, because I was so aware, because I had been um, such a huge fan of anthropology, I was seeing Natalie Latay's work everywhere. And I knew she wasn't making that. I knew they were licensing it from her 
I didn't know what licensing was. I didn't even know what the word was at the time, but I was like, I need to, I need to design for you and you need to make these things and I can't do it for you. And so is that something that you would consider? And they said, absolutely. And then it was like radio silence for two months, which is totally normal for them. But I was like, they hate me. I messed it up. It's like horrible. And I had, I had, you know, the world in my hand and it was got, you know, it was like one of those moments where you're like, I, I came on too strong. It was like my boyfriend. Right. Like, like, what I did I say? <laughs> they um, found another potter. Right. It was like all over. I've ruined my, <laughs> the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, anyway, so obviously that didn't happen. I had a, an exhibition at a um, wonderful ceramic studio in Philadelphia, which is where anthropology is based, um, in like June, sort of a couple months after not hearing from them. And I had been making this one of a kind work for the show for a while. And um, you know, I was like on the off chance that they would come to the opening. Like maybe this is my opportunity to be like, come see the work in person. It just so happens that, you know, total um, serendipity. Um, the world had laid out a plan for me, like the red carpet, really. Um, it was obviously so, meant to be. Totally. I mean, it was like right place, right time kind of thing. And so they, they were like, oh, sure. Let's, yeah, we'll come to your opening. That would be great. You know, no pressure. Like the entire anthropology buying team's now coming to my opening, <laughs> my first opening after <laughs> graduate school, you know, no sweat. And I'm there with like my 10 month old daughter and my husband and my entire family. <laughs> and I was like, so awkward, you know, I was trying like, how do I draw? I had no money. I couldn't buy like clothes to go to the opening event. I was like disastrous. Anyway, they showed up, of course, not just one person showed up, like an entire team of people showed up to this opening and it was like totally intimidating. And they were like, we, and, and, and let me also pre pre preface this by saying like in the art world, enthusiasm is like crafts. It's like not something that you, you don't show your, it's like, um, it's tacky to show your emotion and, and excitement for anything. Right. So, but not in the licensing and design world. It's like quite the opposite. No, it's not. People get excited all the time. And it's like that at flea. I mean, like my mom gets mad at me every time. Well, when I used to go to flea markets with her, if I got excited yeah. over anything, like stop it. Like don't. Right. They know, excited. they know, and you can't bargain. Right. <laughs> um, Shut up. Right. <laughs> it's the wow. same thing. Your mom sounds world. amazing. <laughs> like she, she taught me so much about I wear my heart me. on my sleeve. Like, I am so, I am so transparent. It's like not even <laughs> funny. I mean, people will not bargain with me. They're like, lady, I know you want this. Like, wait, you're not going to walk away. <laughs> so, um, so, so. So they were enthusiastic from the, they were insanely enthusiastic and I didn't trust it. Cause I had been, you know, galleries will be like, um, we'll talk, we'll talk and we'll call you back. You know, they're jumping for joy behind the scenes, but like, they're not going to let you know that they're going to be like all cool as a cucumber. And like, not, I mean, you like major excitement from a gallery is that you've even gotten their attention, you know, like that they're even talking to you is like an honor really. So that you've even been recognized as a person that who's like standing in front of them. So anthropology is like jumping for joy. I was like, Oh God, you know, like what's going on. I have no idea how to react to this. Um, but they, they were like, this is so amazing. We want to talk to you about, you know, licensing these mugs, which were my first collection of mugs with them were shown in that show. And the show got a lot of press. Design Sponge wrote it up. And it was really, I mean, it was like a peak Design Sponge at the time. Um, Grace Bonnie became a fan really quickly after that. I mean, it was just right. like kind of a bunch of things really kind of came together for me um, during that period of time. But they sent me home and said, you know, we would love to do five mugs or six mugs. And um, can you... Uh, design tableware to go with it and and I was like sure and I like I was like I have no idea how to do this <laughs> like what does that mean <laughs> so I had a minor corner you know I went home and was like now I have to design and I figured they weren't going to be able to make my pro my exact process happen in um the factory which of course I was really wrong about and um because wow. there well in the ceramic and the in ceramics sort of industry is sort of vilified, um, which is unfortunate because it's really just another tool. And it depends on how you're sort of, and, and I've really come around to respecting industry and the industrial manufacturing process 
as a way to get your idea out there more democratically. And I think that, so there, there was like an existential or like career crisis that happened, but I'm going to get to that. But the, the, like I've had, like, I haven't had 25 of those, but I, this is a big one. I feel like I've had 25 this month, but that's. Yeah. Oh, believe me. Um, I mean, everyone thinks like, I, I think it's like five or six times a day. I'm saying to myself, um, no, life is not back to normal yet. Everybody. I do not have my kids still not in school full time. Like I don't have a vaccine yet. I'm like, it's just like, but everyone's expecting work like normal. Anyway. Yeah, I know. So the, um, I went home and I had to figure out that thing of figuring out, I thought they were going to need decals from me, which is, you know, a process where you put um, a, a print on top of a ceramic surface that's already made. And I knew that I could hand them my blanks and that they could copy those. And that was going to be no problem. Like I could hand them the mug forms and the plate forms and that I could design. And I knew how to do that part. And that was really something I was bringing to the table because I could hand forms to them. Whereas most, most, uh, companies will take like blank forms from the factory that they already like mm -hmm, ha mm -hmm. have um, and right, put, right. A, it's just put an image on. Right, right, right. So <clears throat> for me to be able to make that form and give them something new, a new language to sort of work with as far as form is really what, you know, was that was a large part of why we were successful together because I could do both the surface and the form and make them work together in a way that a lot of other people won't or can't because they're not, they haven't been trained to think of it as an object as all the way around, right? Like a three-dimensional right. sculptural object. But even though it's tableware, there's an inside and outside, a bottom, and all those different parts that you have to think about. Which applies to anything. It applies to a card, and it applies to any anything you're making. Um, which is why books have become sculptural objects for me, and other things too. But um, the so I figured out my drawing process, and I came in with all my pots, and I made them just the way I would want them to be with the surface on them already and the way I would want the surface to be because it was placement, like it gave them mm -hmm. scale references and everything. And so they off, they went to the factory and I had this luxury of being able to drive to their home offices. And at that time they hadn't, they had only really done licensing with a couple of artists, um, particularly in tableware. And, um, they weren't really set up for artist collaborations the way they are now. And it's something that I helped them develop. Actually. I, I really awesome. encouraged encourage them to set up a, a particular department, like a staff person to coordinate artist relationships because we think differently than um, someone who's yeah. a, a surface designer or an illustrator who's already worse, used to working as a licensed, you know, licensed artist or who understands some of the process and like what some of the pitfalls and things are and having a program for artists. Really. Like, right. Because it is. It's its, own, it's its own beast. And if it's going to be woven into your brand like that, you really need a dedicated Right, know, attention and, to it, and there were so many questions, and I can't tell you how many years of phone calls I've I've fielded of people, you know, so worried that they're going to get ripped off, or you know, how does this work? Um, and so uh, I, they, you know, four or five months later, so it's like now, like September, October. Um, the first samples come back from the factory and they're identical to my work. And I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> this is not, this isn't how I, I thought this was going to be a different process. It wasn't going to interrupt my handmade pottery. And right. it totally was like, Oh, this is exactly what I would make in my studio. Except I didn't make it, you know, Chinese factory did. So, and it was hand painted. I mean, it was really like it totally blew my mind and rewrote the book on like what well, I Well, yeah. I mean, because you're used to churning it out yourself and someone else made it and it looks like you. That had to be very right. disconcerting. It's like seeing someone else with your face. Like it's weird, right? Yeah. And I think also with this long history of all my ceramic professors saying this, you know, your industry is not good at things. They're going to ruin things. It's not it's just it was really vilified it really was not <laughs> considered a good thing you know it was a sellout I mean you know it's like right, a classic right. academic thing of being like 30 years behind everybody I know <laughs> um, I, was trying to, I was trying to explain to my teenager how like when I was her around her age you know people used to be very concerned about selling out like young artists right. like that right. is not a concern today <laughs> very no, much I mean, you somewhat make, you make your living however you can <laughs> Right, like if a corporation wants your work, like, please. You uh, figure but, it out. I mean, I think it's more about aligning your values. More Now yes, it's more yes. about are you selling out your values 
to right. work with industry. And that was a very important conversation early on with anthropology for me. I, I was like, you know, please, I cannot go to this factory in China and see that they are tre being treated fairly or that sure. they're being pay paid a, 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 you know, a living wage in China, whatever that is. And good for you. You know, and I, ha I had to sort of sit down with the, the tableware buyers and ask some of those hard questions. And they, you know, they were very honest and truthful. And um, I really felt good coming out of that conversation at the end of it. And so I proceeded to work with them on good faith that they were telling me the truth. And I had no other way to like hold them accountable other than to ask them the hard questions, which was clear that other people. People don't often like still I ask the hard questions and it's like people look like jaw drop like in the middle of the right. initial conversation and I'm like this shouldn't be like a surprise anymore. <laughs> like guys. Right, like, right. I mean, yes, those those can be uncomfortable conversations to start, but you should. And especially if it's your work, because you know, your work is your baby. If, and if you don't care, then fine, but I care. So <laughs> I care. Yeah. No, I care very much as well. So right. Hey nerds, yes, it's me, Sarah Schwartz, the paper nerd, and I'm dropping back in your episode with an important message about Noted and Gifted happening this April 17th and 18th at the Fort Mason Center for Arts and Culture in sunny San Francisco, California. While my paperfold guests and I talk a lot about various trade shows and markets on this podcast, take it from me, this can't miss happening stands apart from all the rest. First off, this community event is generated not by a corporate entity, but by the Nonprofit Greeting Card Association, led by a committee of engaged volunteers, of which yours truly happens to be one. All of us are committed to meeting maker needs, creating a must-attend event for buyers, and offering an experience that keeps the focus on stellar products and must-meet gift and stationary people. This annual event is the largest gathering of greeting card makers in the country. And this year, Noted and Gifted has been reimagined and reconfigured as a community event by both the stationary and gift community for the stationary and gift community. This West Coast market promises an elevated mix of both these important lifestyle categories presented alongside each other for an unforgettably dynamic buying experience. You just never know what you will discover in the next booth. No matter the role you play in our community, maker, manufacturer, artist, publisher, or designer, this gathering helps us all rise to the next level. Exhibitors can expect move-in ready spaces with hard walls, furnishings, and lights. Meanwhile, the overall design plays more on the idea of an art gallery than tired trade show with neighborhoods creating a distinctive atmosphere for connection and discovery that you won't find anywhere else. Spaces start at just 36 square feet and are ideal for those younger or smaller brands wanting to interact with the larger greeting card and gift community without the stress and investment of a traditional trade show. As you prepare to exhibit, take advantage of the available guidance and support from GCA membership companies along the way. You'll be all all the better prepared to show and sell your creations to the ever-growing list of noted and gifted buyers. So far, buyers have registered from Anthropology, Austin Brooklyn, Cursive New York, Flax Pen to Paper, Mayer, Paper Luke's, the SF MoMA Museum Store, and Sonoma Botanical Garden. And every time I look, there's even more amazing venues planning to walk the event. Simply put, you need these eyes on your artistry. Better still, if you exhibited at any of the winter gift markets, hurry up and register already for discounted pricing and, of course, to secure your prime placement. Oh, and did I mention that qualified buyers attend for free? Miss out on this elevated urban Bay Area event and you miss out on the springtime gift and stationery happening that has grown each year of its fresh five-year existence. There's community, there's connection, there's discovery, and there's design in spades. And you know I can hardly wait. Start planning your trek to San Francisco at greetingcard.org and be sure to tell my friends at the GCA that's Sarah sent you. What were your first? So you did the mugs. Did you do like trays? Like what were the other pieces? Um, in the I initial? Did, so there was like five mugs and a dinner plate and a salad plate and a bowl. And they did so well with them, you know, that, and I had, and I, the other thing that was really part of why I was so successful over and over and that we did, we've done over 500 projects together 
over that's, that's insane the last 10 years oh, i mean it's yeah, unprecedented. Yeah. and everyone looks at me and says i want to do that and it's like it's just, like i don't even really understand i mean if i had the secret sauce of anthropology i would totally tell everybody i don't there isn't <laughs> one. <laughs> um, invite them to your art opening yeah exactly um, <laughs> So at the time I would go down and bring, so I, when I was, I was smart, I was, I was like a Rolex salesman on the street. You know, I was like, okay, so you like my mugs. I got other mugs. Like, I'll let me show you some other mugs. You know, like I brought like bins of stuff. I'd, I'd pull it out and be like, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And then they'd be like, wow, you have these other drawings. Like I just brought my portfolio basically not knowing whether they would be interested. Cause I was like, look, I, I sort of envisioned these as like other things. These are some other drawings that I've been doing and I could see them on this or that. And suddenly they're pulling in the glass buyer and they're pulling in the home textile buyer and they're pulling in the candle buyer and the beauty buyer. And the, you know, and like all of a sudden there's like 20 people in the room and they're all freaking out about this artwork because it somehow I hit a nerve, right? Like right, I had right, the, right. the right thing at the right time. And I had my foot in the door and damn it, I wasn't going to let it go. <laughs> You're not pulling it no matter what. Right. Yeah, no. And I mean, you've done collections with, you've done holiday collections. You've done, right. have you done like, you've done baby, you've done, or have you, you know, like juvenile, um, like every, almost every yeah, segment, right. like seasonal you know, different. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, and, and uh, I never and thought that it was going to continue. I kept going back and bringing more. And I was always like, this can end anytime, but I'm going to like, you know, and I, I think that the big thing was that and persisting, like I didn't let it go when they didn't call me back. I persisted by following up with more things than they asked for and showed them new. And I, um, hit deadlines. I brought things on time. In fact, I turned things around faster than, I mean, they were always like, wow, you know, how did you do that? And it's because I didn't have anything else going on. So, like, I mean, I think it's, one, one I think that's amazing. I mean, those are, those are all great thing you know those are those that's all like very very smart to do i remember reading once years ago that like um um El, you know elvis presley was basically managed by his parents you know he started very young and his dad you know they grew up very very poor and his dad was always like afraid that the bottom was going to fall out and they were just everything was going to end the next day and it really guided his career decisions and i think a lot of artists are like and makers are like you you know, they just, you just work on that same, not that everybody's been dirt poor, but you know, you're working on that same supposition, like this could all end tomorrow. Like I got to, you know, really uh, make yeah. this work. Yeah. And especially but, when it's a client like that, I mean, so very quickly, I mean, you, you, I mean, uh, I, I sort of joked about it after three or four years that I was at the school of anthropology and I was training to be a designer and that I was getting my degree soon and they were, I was going to graduate. And <laughs> that's kind of how I treated it. I was like, I'm going to do as many things as I possibly can and sort of teach myself about this process. And I like literally taught myself textile design. I mean, I, I went to fine art school. I didn't, no one ever taught me how to use any um, design software, how to scan. I think I was using like an HP all in one scanner for years, like <laughs> scan my stuff. And I mean, Wacom tablet, hello, that was what? No, um, I knew how to use Photoshop, however, because as a, uh, um, in graduate school, I actually applied to graduate school with physical slides, believe it or not, that's how old, it like totally dates me. Um, but I was sort of like the last class, <laughs> not That's digital awesome. file. Yeah. Um, but in that time of, of being there for three years, um, which is odd, but it's a three-year program um, for that school. It was at the time anyway. And um, it, we had to do, I mean, as you in order to submit your work to galleries or submit your work for any kind of publications or anything like that, you had to have digital files of your work. So you learned how to be your own photographer and process your own images and use Photoshop to do that. And so I was rehearsed enough in Photoshop to really use it for creating patterns. And I still, that's the, I'm so not an Illustrator user at all. I use Photoshop now and um, scan all my hand-drawn artwork, but it was so painful for so long. And I think back on how like, how awful it was when they'd be like, can you change this color? Cause I'd have to redraw the whole 
things. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do it in photo. I could, didn't know how to, I didn't have the skill set to just do it in Photoshop. So, I mean, the hours that I put in were like astronomic, really. Like I shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have to, have to do that, but I did and I figured it out. But like learning how to do a repeat, I learned how to do a repeat, like the classic old fashioned way. Like you cut, paste the paper in four squares and then you <laughs> like, wow. yeah, I mean, that was how I was doing. I mean, I was like so old school about it, even though I really didn't need to be. It's just that I had to teach myself. Like I had to like right, Google right. how to make a repeat pattern. <laughs> I didn't know what And I look, I mean, who's to say that those more traditional methods didn't give your work that extra little like class? A hundred percent. Every time I went to a meeting, they'd be like, I love seeing the hand in here. You know, it was like, right. I was like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. About, it's <laughs> all about the touch of the hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't sleep for the last three nights. <laughs> That's because of the touch of my hand. Hey, paper peeps. So Kitty Meow Boutique has been a fabulous client of mine for a while now. So hopefully many of my listeners are familiar with not just the dazzling wares from this Chicagoland house of paper, but also its amazing founder, a force of nature better known as Catherine Hildner. This mom of two with another scheduled to arrive soon has created a most intoxicating stationary range. I define the Kitty Meow aesthetic as polished and very smart. Think of the sharpest outfit you own that you feel like a million bucks in, but in stationary form. Everything from typography to envelope choice comes together to pack a most enticing punch. But this range is not just about the surface. It's about honoring those connections with those we care about most. And you'll see once you visit kittymeowboutique.com that the wares are divided into witty and sweet because as Catherine puts it, sometimes you feel a little saucy and sometimes you don't. But Kitty Meow Boutique is so much more than just another pretty face in the marketplace. The empowering messaging found on her cards, invitations, journals, coasters, art prints, and enamel pins elevates the range into something that makes you feel not just seen, but good about yourself too. Everything is essentially a little lift visually and emotionally for not just those you love, but you as well. Not only is Kitty Meow available for your personal shopping needs, it's also available wholesale to all those shops looking for something new with which to excite their customers. She's on FAIR. Visit kittymeowboutique.fair.com and get your shop started. Finally, I think what I love about Catherine most is that she is really all about living your best life, as you'll see for yourself beneath the education tab on her site. She offers KMB Signature Collective, a mastermind for women in the product-based business world who have a love for paper and giftable items, who have an idea and a plan, but need guidance and support to be successful in their efforts. I so agree with Catherine. It's so important to be surrounded by like-minded women and leaders who are willing to put in the work to lift each other up. For that reason, it's not a course. It's a friggin' transformation, people. And Catherine has also started my second favorite podcast, Dreams to Plants, with another brilliant force of nature, my girlfriend Renee, to elevate your daydreams to actual tangible plants. Oh, and if you're on Clubhouse, follow Kitty Meow so you can tune in to her weekly room Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's called Small Business Savvy, Insider Secrets You Need to Know. I checked it out for myself last week, and it was just the dose of inspiration and confidence my day needed. So get those good vibes going at kittymeowboutique.com and tell them Sarah sent you.
your star kind of rose as anthropology's star rose, rose yeah. mm -hmm. in a sense. And so there was like this customer recognition that, you know, they knew you, but you were linked with the anthropology brand mm -hmm. and their aesthetic. So how did that sort of like enable you to grow your own offerings? Because you went beyond ceramics, you went into paper, right. into paper goods, up, you know, fine giftware, stationary. Like, can you speak to that evolution a little bit? Sure. So, um, I mean, as you can imagine, you know, every art director and creative director and anyone who's in the, you know, everyone was shopping at anthropology. So, you know, they would, people would recognize my work and they would, um, email me. They would, they would say, Hey, we'd love to work with you. And I had, I mean, I really was, I had only licensed to anthropology and that, you know, as we all know, anyone who's tried or had had licensed with them, it's not normal. It's the way that they license to artists. It's, it's like a, well, it's not abnormal, but it's just very much their own way of doing it, um, which we can go into if you want. But basically, I I didn't really know anything about how the legal aspects of it, the the you know how to what royalty um, sort of you know right. what were the what were the basic understanding. So I was really out of my depth in that one because so licensing is its own. Beast. I mean, there's there, I went to the license right. show once in oh. New York at Javits and it was like, it's just booth after booth of property. I mean, it wasn't right. so much artist driven. It was like, this is the Marvel booth. And if you right. want to put, you know, Marvel on a sweatshirt, this is where you got to go. Right. So, right. Uh, yeah. And it is. just was overwhelming for me. And so I was getting all these opportunities. And like you said, anthropology and I, we actually at periods would like step back from over, like there was a point where I was really like looking like an in-house brand because I was, I had so many products in their home department that it was really clear that we needed to sort of pull back and then launch a new collection at times. Um, but it sort of, or, you know, peak, I think I was like eight years ago. I ha I mean, it was like, crazy i met with my agents who i still am with now seven years yeah seven or eight years ago we started talking and um i i reached out to them because they had been working with lottie Ann's daughter and i saw what they were doing for her and i had taken a workshop with lotta just to like kind of see what her just see what it was in her work it was in her space in brooklyn at the time and it was really interesting to sort of just be a fly on the wall during that and sort of look around and see what her studio was and sort of figure this out. And um, I asked her some questions and she was a little weird about it. Like she really didn't like that, but she was, she's very proprietary and private about that kind of information. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I totally respect that. Um, I, however, I'm a totally open book. There's nothing, all ships rise with the tide in my opinion. So right. if anyone asks me something, I, I mean, I literally don't have anything that's proprietary really <laughs> other than like, you know, NDAs that I've signed. So I can't tell you if it's, you know, what my next project is, but um, when it comes, so when it came to working with, you know, I, I just had these licensing opportunities and I didn't know what to do with them. So I, I tried my best to figure it out and I realized very quickly that I needed an agent. So I ended up with Moxie and uh, Laura and Arlene of Moxie. Um, and, you know, at that time, they were sort of not sure. And we went in our first meeting, we went over to an anthropology in Westport, Connecticut, which is around the corner from their offices. And they're like, all right, well, so, you know, if you're really for real, like, what's like, what is yours here? And I was like, walking around and it was like, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. And they were like, oh, okay. All right. We're on to something here. Let's go to lunch. Like, it was really funny. I mean, I, and, and then it took about nine months of us talking. And my first license was with Graphique de France. And that was before working with them. I did that on my own. That's nice. What was it for? Um, a bunch of stationery, yeah, and and a calendar, a couple other things, and it was fine. It was like not my best license, maybe, and I think they were really relying on me. the The pitfall of a lot of it was that people were like, "Oh, if we work with her, we'll get into anthropology," and it was like, "No, that's not necessarily how that's no, going to go." In fact, you're probably less. I would think right. they, anthropology would not want to buy your. Right, they have me. Why would they just defense? Why would they? Right. Right. That, that doesn't make any sense. Maybe they'll look at their other stuff. Maybe they'll right. notice them because they're working with you. But I mean, right. I mean, it took years of us vetting 
potential licensees um, to, I mean, we just really figured out quickly as an agents and myself, like we had to ask really early on whether they thought they were going to get into anthropology as a result of working with me. It just wasn't like, we had to kind of like, nip that in the bud at the beginning of every conversation. But that's good. I mean, well, that's good that you're, you know, being honest, fully transparent. And, you know, like, I, I think that's the best way to operate. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I definitely think of you as a luxury brand. I, you know, just like I think of, I think of anthropology as a luxury. I mean, it's not Chanel, but it's, you know, it's very upscale. So I love that during pandemic, the last thing I expected to hear from you was that during pandemic, you came out with all these free um, uh, printables, download free to download printables. Can you tell me uh, how that came about? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, early on in the pandemic, I was feeling like a lot of people were feeling tight and it was, it was a way for me to give people coloring pages and things to do with their kids. In particular, I have a daughter who's 11 and I was sort of realizing that there were some ways for me to round out some of what I was doing with some free and some purchase printables yeah. that were like ways to sort of also immediately respond to what was going on. Um, there were some printables that were like, you know, rainbows for your window about, you know, acceptance and um, love the sort of also there were like moments where um, I think there were a couple of sort of initiatives for putting rainbows in windows for kids to find in the neighborhood on walks. And right, right. Like the rainbow walks. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And so I was responding to that and it was a way for me to sort of immediately um connect with people and it was really nice to be able to offer some things like you know printable ious for mom and you know i mean darcy miller's really great at it and so is um uh uh um house that lars built you know and they sort of set a precedent for some of those things and it's just become a really nice way for me to say you know i know i have these things for sale but like it would be cool if you had a bouquet that matched that was paper and you could make it yourself if you want to go there and have a project right to do I love your paper. I love your paper bouquets. They're so, it, they're so precious. A way for people. I also wanted to encourage people, especially around the holidays. I think that's when I started was Easter was like the first Passover and Easter was the first holiday during the pandemic that, and I was really like, you know, it doesn't have to be this weird thing. Like you can make it special at home, even with just for free, like just download these things and make a nice table. Like, what, you know, it. like, I love that you picked the Jewish holiday that we hate. That I hate. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I love that you picked something beautiful. Well, that was the life. first one. It was, that was the first so one funny. that happened. <laughs> like, we just finished surviving Passover and like, oh, yes. Okay. Um, but I love that you, I love that you made it some beauty. It is a beautiful holiday. It's a beautiful concept. Um, matzah, yeah, it was more about, not like, so beautiful. <laughs> how do you make your life? How do you make, how do you make even just like a celebration happen just for you at home? And, um, you know, and a bunch of other things have come, you know, I'm, I'm about to launch a, a, my first clothing line. That was an opportunity that arose during I know it's very exciting. Um, and so May 13th, we have a clothing line with a company called Joni. And, you know, I think the pandemic in general sort of condensed some things for me. There were some relationships that I let go that I thought I would never, I fought very hard to get. And I felt like they were, um, it was important to walk away from both for during some of the um, racial tension uh, that's, you know, ongoing, but like some of the things that came to light during a sort of um, me too moment in, in sort of racial injustice within companies, if you will. Um, right. Right. And, and I was like, I can't work with this company anymore. And I, there are, there are like a bunch of reasons that we were already on the shelf, you know, sort of fence about it. And it was just like, I, so I really took stock of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And it was a, an opportunity for me to, um, reassess and concentrate my efforts to move forward on things that are really exciting. And this opportunity to work with this clothing company came around and it, it's a sustainable and um, organic cottons and um, sustainable fabrics and, you know, size inclusive um, to a point. I wish they were more size inclusive. I'm already running into some issues with that in my, in my opinion, but. Um, <clears throat> That's amazing. I can't wait to see. I'm so excited. Yeah, really I, I almost excited. don't want to ask, but are they going to, is it going to be an anthropology? No. I'm the only one so retailing in the wow, US cool, cool, um, and they cool. are an online, they don't wholesale. So they are online only. Awesome. And the, it, it actually came about because of anthropology. So the woman, the woman who is the creative director there 
you know, was in love with my work forever, went to anthropology in the UK and, and really thought it would be such a great opportunity for me to make clothing was shocked that they had never done it with me. And it is kind of, now that you mention it, it is kind of shocking. Yeah. Like I'm surprised no one, they probably didn't have any of the clothing buyers in those meetings with you. No, yeah. Different sides of the building and you know, yeah, they didn't want to share. (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot of wisdom in, you know, we were talking about licensing, but I love that you say like, I, you sort of took the time to, you know, take a look at your partners and be like, is this someone I want to be uh, partnering mm-hmm. with? So many people, when they get into licensing, they're just so eager to license their work. Like I've heard a lot of horror stories where someone licenses this design or that design and they don't like how it's presented. They don't like how it's used. It looks cheap. It looks, you know, this, that, the other thing. And so it's, it's smart. And, um, I also think it's just really smart to um, say no to things that aren't working because then like you just make create space in your life for something like really good to um, like assume that spot, so to speak. Yeah. And I think you have to be in a financial and sort of uh, sort of confident enough position in what you're doing in order to be there. Like you said, I mean, I've had all of those experiences you just described and it's really awful when you feel like you're putting a product out there that's not um, in line or something that you would really, I mean, I, listen, <clears throat> I think there are plenty of reasons to put product out there that you wouldn't necessarily purchase, but the customer, like you're meeting a customer's needs that you don't necessarily have a need for. And there's like a fine balance between that. And I, I like some of the clothing, I don't know that it's like personally something that I would necessarily um choose off the rack, but it's definitely in line with my brand and it makes a ton of sense for, for the customer. And I think we'll find out like how the chips fall, um, on the other side of it. But, um, we've got another collection launching afterwards a year from now. So that'll be really nice to have more follow up on that. Yeah. You'll see what works. We're going to make stationery out of the patterns. (gasps) I just had an email from Beely and Shelf about you know, they were like, Hey, we love this. You know, like these patterns are great. Like, can we put them on stationary? And I was like, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, you just never really know, but I think, like you said, I've, I made room for, I really assessed what, what I wanted the brand values um, to portray in the relationships. Look, I mean, I, I have such limited time and I have a whole other career as a fine artist making one of a kind artwork. Right. And I, my time is limited. So, you know, I'm at the position where I have this privilege to decide, you know, um, and I really want to make sustainable and as, as sustainable and ethical produced products as possible and reduce our plastic to as like, like if we could get rid of it completely, I would. Um, and, you know, as carbon neutral and all the things like, I'm just like, let's do it. And so if printables become a part of that, because we can offer them to people to not have to ship them and things like that, that's, that's excellent. And they're immediate. I mean, well, you mentioned to me in a very brief email, you mentioned the many benefits of essentially just putting free imagery out there Mm -hmm. for are there are there others that you haven't mentioned I mean there is there's this immediacy and I think in terms of like you know your many fans how they must have been like oh my gosh she just put this stuff and I can download it and print it out and color it right. home. And I haven't been out of my pajamas in a month and you know but I have this exciting thing to do with my kid or you know I mean that's got to yeah. be one benefit um People, <clears throat> I've gotten a lot of thank yous. Um, people have connected by doing the projects together over Zoom. Um, a lot wow. of international customers because we're not shipping internationally right now. And we don't have a lot of, ac- people don't have a lot of access to our work outside of the US. And so a lot of people have been excited about that. Um, and we're trying hard, but it's it doesn't seem, the UK just kind of shot themselves in the foot really by, with Brexit and some of their tariffs. It's so impossible to export there now. It's like, really? so expensive. yeah, it's, we just went through a huge sort of harangue about trying to figure out that with a couple of my partners and I don't do any wholesale myself, but um, I've been just starting to do some sort of production of work. Like I brought back some juice glasses out of the archive that anthropology was making for a long time and they stopped producing. So I, you know, people have just requested them so much that I figured out how to do it myself. So same exact factory, same exact designs, everything. And so we brought those back and I'm sort of a foray into production of my own, but exclusive to the website. Um, 
And so I think, yeah, I think that the thing that, it, I think it's a, it's a way of saying thank you, really, for me. It's a, out of gratitude and it's a way for me to round out what I have to offer and, and fill in gaps that um, other companies that I work with maybe didn't want to produce other things for that collection or it's a way to, you know, and, and actually the, the coloring page of the unicorn became a scarf that's about to launch that goes wow. along with the clothing, you know, so it's like things like that. Like I just, you know, it's, it's encouraging me also to take the time um, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. develop some things for fun. And usually those become something else later. And it's really satisfying to see people sharing those images, sure. once they, you know, worked on them or set up the table. And I just, yeah, it's a it's a way to connect with people, um, and right. not always have to have it be something about money and exchange. Right, right, transactional. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you know, like I don't know, maybe ten years ago, I started hearing you know there's so much talk about making retail a destination, making retail an experience, you know, mm -hmm. interactive displays. You know, obviously that's not really happening now. So you know. Mm -hmm can make your site you know mm -hmm. interactive if you can make that an experience if you can feel like you're immersing yourself in the brand and it's full of surprises it just makes you you know more loyal loyal to it and it really you know you have you have a deeper connection to it and um i love them like i have a girlfriend who lives down the street who's spent almost all the pandemic coloring and i don't think she's seen your site so i'm gonna text her that <laughs> right when we're done because i know she's i know next time or when i can go in her house she's gonna have the flowers your paper right, flowers right. and the paper vase out on the table um so you mentioned a little bit about Bailey and Shof, um, but I can't let you go without telling me a little bit about the stationary ranges and collaborations you currently have that are available um with Big Wheel Press and Bailey and Shof. And I'm my guess is there's a few that you might have that I haven't heard of. So I think uh we've I've just been working with um Bailey and Shof and um uh, big wheel both for different reasons one you know mm -hmm. big wheel is a letterpress and um the greeting cards that i make with billion show for all um uh, offset or digitally printed and it's there's something i've translated a lot of my work um from three dimensions like the juice glass artwork into greeting cards because they kind of were acting like a greeting card already mm -hmm, a little mm -hmm, bit mm -hmm, like um mm -hmm. like a right. gift with sentimental value attached and so it translated really well into greeting cards. And so I'm really excited about Big Wheel and I haven't got anything new coming actually. He's been really sort of trying hard to keep his head above water, I think with pandemic and with some of the closings of some of the bigger companies right, in right. the greeting card world has sort of trickled down, has been tough for some of the smaller print houses like him. Um, but he's and he also owns an art supply store, which yeah, is yeah, Guild I, Art Supply. Like yeah, I get his actually, emails. It looks like an amazing art supply store. It is, and it's really been you know he had to move it and move away from the main street location that he had because it was too expensive to stay. And um, he that was his first business really, and he owns a frame shop as well. So he, you know, he's really a multifaceted local print guy. Like he's just known for you know his. <laughs> rebuilding, you know, presses. And I mean, he kind of is like a jack of all trades, but I met him because I was buying art supplies there and we talked and chatted. And my husband actually took a letterpress workshop from him before I even, you know, he and I started working together and he How launched funny. his, he did, he was doing a few cards and things like that, but he really took it to the next level when he and I, first, I was his first licensed artist. And I remember, uh, I mean, and I remember that mirrored, <laughs> like a mirrored car. It was like a mirror. Yeah surface car that was exquisite i don't know if you still have it but i i can still remember when i'm meeting you at stationary show and seeing it yep. okay. i think he had, he had like half a dozen cards from you maybe yep. yep and so that's ongoing and i think it'll just be one of those sort of i mean he lives 15 minutes i mean the, the shop is 15 minutes from here and five minutes later yeah sorry um <laughs> Uh, you know, you accidentally hit the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> it happened. You know, uh, I was basically just talking about Bill and um, Big Wheel Press. And I think it's, it's a long-term relationship that will go on for, you know, however long it feels good. Um, and we do have, I was, was saying that we do have maybe a back burner project that um, is a little mini book, actually, that he would print help me get digitally printed and then have or offset and then have him do the cover, which is a, a fortune telling 
um, tea book, which I want to self-produce so that you can buy that with your tea and your phones and notes. So it's been That's sort of adorable. a sort of time using Bill and working with him to do fun projects. And he, you know, he'll request things occasionally and stuff like that. But, and Bill and so has been great. We've really, we just launched our first collection last year and we're going to do another, obviously with this um, Oliver print sort of reflection of the clothing line. And I'm excited to see how I translate that artwork. I mean, that really just happened this, this week. So um, they're excited about that. And so am I, and just really, we, we've noticed a real uptick in sales of cards during the pandemic and people have really stepped up and started purchasing and sending cards more. And I think that's, really nice, at least from us. Um, and I don't think we're really considered, you know, people don't come to us for stationary necessarily, but I think they're starting to, which is really fun to see. And um, I'm really excited about continuing with all of that in the future. And, um, you know, we don't have any uh, other, you know, things tucked away or anything like that. I think that's a lot. I think that's a lot. I mean, clothes, cards, maybe a book, <laughs> who knows? collaborations coming up this summer some beach chairs that are launched that just launched but they will you know be available on the site this summer and a new um tableware paper tableware company sophistaplate we're about to launch some new um uh summer tableware for outdoor picnics and things like that and um another summer apparel line that we've got in the works for um beach so like spf 50 um recycled plastic clothing and uh, yeah, really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see where we all go. I mean, 10 years from now, I hope to listen back on this and be like, oh, I was in my baby phase. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to see it all. And uh, there, th there's so much. I can't wait to see your clothes and what's coming out with Filey and Shof. I, I know they're going to do an amazing job because um, everything that's coming out of that uh, card house is looks is like top notch. Um, so thank you so much uh, for taking the time with all you have going on to come in the paper fold. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you through the years, Sarah. And um, I can't wait to show people what we've got coming. Thank you so much, Molly, for coming by the paper fold. And thank you so much for listening. As always, email me at Sarah at the Paper Nerd with anything I can do for you. And if you are liking what you were hearing, please subscribe and leave me a good rating and review. I can't tell you how much that helps. Thank you so much, paper peeps. Please stay well.